You are listening to Fellowship Around the Table. Welcome to another week at Fellowship Around the Table. This week at the table, I have FBC member Rick Griffith. Hello, Rick. Howdy. So glad you're here. I've been at Fellowship for 15 years, and in that whole time, we've been pretty close. Yes, we have. You were assigned to our small group, and we loved it. It had a great time. Yeah, and our small group structure at the time, and when you went through membership, Mm -hmm. they put you into a small group. Right. The elders decided, based on answers and what who they thought would work best in what group, um, there was a lot of effort that was put into assigning and you got assigned me because you asked a lot of questions and they thought I could give them the answers. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. I had just moved back from Kansas City. Yep. And we had been a part of a, a, a church startup mm-hmm. and been running lay leaders in the junior high ministry. But I'd had seasons earlier from high school and college where I had men in a local church that were mentoring me, discipling mm-hmm. me, that old, that word. And in the Kansas City time, I really didn't. Yeah. And so when we came back here, I put on that paperwork that I'm looking for a man to disciple me and to mentor me. And I was told about that. Yes. Okay. And I've thoroughly looked forward to the opportunity and it's worked well for and you've been, 15 years. You've been, been doing that for me for 15 years. Yes. And uh, just a dirty little secret is when my son graduated from college, I intentionally tried to hook you two guys up because I needed someone to help him. And it didn't work right at first. Right. And then he did it organically, and that was better, actually. Mm. Yeah, and you and, guys are close. And we're really close. We meet yes. every week. Yep. Ah, that's so cool. Do you remember where you took me and him to lunch to really get to know each other? I met him, but like... No. Oh, come on. Chili's? No. It's gone now. It's our, one of our favorites. Ichiban. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> the best teriyaki oh, chicken in the world. I don't know why somebody didn't buy that franchise or something. Oh. They had such a loyal following. Yes. Me, us, me was one of them, and you were came became one. Yeah. And it's they're gone. It's gone. And for those Tulsans that remember it or didn't know about it, it was, what, 41st and Memorial? Yes. And yes. Where the quick the wall, trip is now. Yeah, yeah. Hole in the Wall. Didn't even have a sign. No. You just had to know about it. You had to know about it because more people got lost on the way there when (laughs) you said, meet me there. And they said, I I don't know. It was on the door. Yeah. It's a very indescript on the door. And you had to know where, which door you're looking for. And it was an older Japanese family that had this family recipe for teriyaki chicken. Mm -hmm. And she's just back there cooking it up. Yep. And it was phenomenal. Jesse was a little suspect the first time I took him Anybody that walks in there is suspect. (laughs) Jesse was, I remember him being suspect. And then anytime, and he was in college, and anytime he came back, he said, we're going to Ichiban? It's like, yeah, yeah, we'll go to Ichiban. It's good memories. Yeah. You know who turned me on to that place? Russ Angel. Oh, that makes he sense. He took we me to, there yeah, I for worked the first for time. Russ, and yes. he used to go there quite a bit yeah. for, for lunches. Yeah. yeah. That's so great. Well, we, you hit on it, but spending 15 years together, you quickly saw that I love to teach. Mm-hmm. I love to learn. I love to research, but I love to communicate and teach as well. And had been doing that, like junior high kids and a little bit in some prior churches. Yep. But you really took me under your wings and let, and you said, come with me and teach with me and started doing that with adults and you let me do it in a men's group on Thursday morning. Let me cut my teeth. You brought me along to impact classes and let me teach. 
A lot of men that are teaching in this church now first got the thought of teaching to men in that small group mm-hmm. on Thursday morning. Yeah. And it, it allowed them to have a safe audience mm-hmm. to kind of cut their teeth and feedback. And that's, that was a very good launching point for a number of teachers. For a generation. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. So much fun. So appreciative. And one of the things that you've taught several times that I've always enjoyed, and it was a really big aha moment for me, was looking at the book of Acts, which records kind of that first generation history of the church mm-hmm. and helping us see Paul's missionary journeys in light of all these letters that he wrote in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And just overall, the power of knowing the context and the time and space of what you're reading when it comes to the Bible. Right. These books are organized into two testaments Mm -hmm. and then they're organized by literature style, not chronologically. And so for a new Christian or even somebody that's been around Christianity for a while, but hasn't really put it in its time and space, it's really powerful. And it is, it's a crime that they put Romans first. (laughs) I mean, the deepest book in the new Testament and all of a sudden you jump off of acts and you go, ah, Ah, boom, in the Romans. It's, it is, it's like his doctoral thesis. <laughs> yes. And it's really the capstone. Yes. And it's right out of the gate. There. Yeah. And its particular spot is is unfortunate, I think. Yeah. But, yeah. The Book of Acts. Let's kind of walk through this and kind of talk about it and how this fits in its time and place. Well, let's talk first about who wrote the Book of Acts. I would love to do that. It's a two-set biography. Dr. Luke, they call him. And, and I, I say he's more of a historian than a doctor. But a lot of research I saw that says he was probably Paul's doctor throughout the missionary journeys okay. because after his thorn in the flesh, he had a significant time, more than likely, and with his eye problems, yeah. and Doc and Luke attended to him. And he does call him a physician. Yes. That's why we say that, because Paul refers to Luke as a physician. But I think he is as much a historian as he is a physician. I uh, sometimes label him an investigative journalist. And I, and I label him a biographer. Biographer. And yes. he is doing both of those. So yes. let's tell that story. I'm going to read Luke, mm-hmm. his, his gospel that he writes. The first four verses say this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And that's what an historian does. Yeah. I mean, that's, yes, he probably had a doctor's approach to things, but his real legacy is he got to eyewitnesses, he carefully investigated, and he wrote an orderly account. Yeah. That's not just a doctor subscribing to certain concepts. Right. This is a guy that's documenting In that consecutive order. And it's interesting you're talking about the missionary journeys. You say, where did he get this information? Well, after the third missionary journey, he ends up spending four years, two and a half at least, in Jerusalem. Because Paul's in jail. Well, walk that back. Let's start. He does write the gospel. And Mm -hmm. I want to read how Luke 24 ends. Because most people don't see this as two volumes. It's a bookend. It's a bookend. And then once again, we went Luke and then slid John in there. And then Acts. Right. right. Where these are really bookends. So at the end of 24, Luke 24, the last 
three verses say, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So they see Jesus' ascension, and that's how he finishes the book. And then I'll read Acts 1. Starting of Acts 1, the second volume. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So it, it, And you drop down right to verse up. 8, he then ascends. Right. And at the end of Luke, he ascends. Yeah. It's a two-volume set mm-hmm. of the history of Jesus from the time, from eyewitnesses, from the time he was there. And then through the first 15 chapters, he still has an eyewitness account. Mm-hmm. There's Acts 16, it verse is 16. 10. Let's, let's talk about that. So yes. Paul, being on a second missionary journey, mm-hmm. keeps wanting to go west or east. No, north. North and somewhere east. Bithynia. Bithynia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Spirit keeps pushing him he said, west. And, and the, it goes further than that. The Spirit said no. Yeah, no. <laughs> he said no. I need you somewhere else. And so he started heading west till he hit the... Hit the ocean. Right. He's going west, and we know that Luke was in Troas, and so he's in Troas. And I'll read it here, 6 yep. through 10, because it's so subtle. Yes. But it's so cool. So we're in Acts 16, second missionary journey, and it says, this is Luke writing, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia... They came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And welcome, Luke, to the team of people. So uh, subtle. Silas and Paul. Yep. And Timothy, who he'd picked up in uh, Galatia, they three make it to Troas, and now uh, Luke is going to be the fourth. And the and the pronouns flipped. Yes. Prior to sixteen ten, it's they, them, at them, yeah. and then after that, it's we and us. From then on, yeah, all the way back to when he ends up in Rome in twenty eight. And so after the second missionary journey, he comes back mm-hmm. with Paul to Rome uh, to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and. We know from Luke's gospel, he has the most detailed account, especially of Jesus' birth, mm-hmm. has childhood stories, has intimate details from Mary, has the genealogical records going back to Adam. Mm-hmm. He's this biographer. And Mary's still around. It's sure More than likely. Way. Yeah, yeah. we don't know for so sure. So he has a quote from her. Yes. And it's like, uh, did he get that firsthand? Now, he didn't have as much time then as he had the second, the second time. time. Okay. The second time he comes back and Paul gets thrown in prison for two years. Mm. Well, Luke didn't go anywhere. Yeah, Luke's still doing his research in all the archives in Jerusalem on the, all of that. Yeah, and still has access to all the apostles mm-hmm. who are still in Jerusalem ministering. Yeah, and many are by then on their own trips. Because Peter made trips, obviously, up to northern Turkey yep. and out. But he didn't have a biographer with him, so we don't know. Yep. Paul yep. ended up with a biographer, and therefore, we get Paul's journey. That's right. And the first 12 chapters are really about Peter and John. Right. Really, the first eight. Eight, for sure. And then 
the rest are almost exclusively about Peter. And then in 13 is when you get Paul. Right. Yeah. Paul's conversion is probably like nine, but then mm-hmm. he has this dramatic conversion, mm-hmm. you know, the road to Damascus and the light and is on fire. And there's a little story. He has to it's escape. a blip about him, blip. but he comes back. In. Right. Yes. So let's, let's talk through that. So Paul comes, like you said, has this conversion mm-hmm. pretty dramatic and there's a blip about him and escape. But he's gone for three and a half years. Right. He's off the, he's gone. He's out yes. of the picture. He goes back to his home. Well, no, that well, he comes goes later. To Jerusalem first. After Jerusalem, yeah, he spends three and a half years with Jesus yeah. in the desert. So he had his three and a half years personally with the risen Christ, and he even alludes to it later. He says, "I was caught up into third heaven, yeah. and I saw things that men aren't supposed to see." <laughs> and he reasons that that's why he got the thorn in the flesh, saying that he. God didn't want him to be proud of what he was able to, yeah. to achieve and see. Yeah. I don't know that John saw as much as as Paul did. It's interesting to think about. And you see it in all of his letters. He mm-hmm. never says, I got this from an eyewitness. He says, I got this from, from the Lord. The Lord. In fact, it's his defense again. of Galatian. It is. The Judaizers are coming behind him and really impugning his ability to his right to talk about Jesus and then his really intimacy because he wasn't there for the three and a half right. years of his ministry. Yeah. And no, he said, no, I, I got this directly from Christ. Those Judaizers, false teachers coming in, questioning Paul's authority, mm-hmm. questioning his the gospel that he's sharing because they had a works-based gospel. Right. Corinthians, he shares with us, <laughs> what I heard from the Lord, I pass on to you. Yeah. So the Lord recounted that upper room discourse to him. Yeah. And Gave him perspective that the other apostles may not have even had mm. that were there. That's so, that was cool. So cool. Well, so Paul kind of disappears from the scene mm-hmm. and he has that time with the Lord. And then he has a good chunk of time up in his homeland. Right. They actually sent him away yeah. from Jerusalem because Paul was the up and comer to secede in the Sanhedrin. Now he's one of them. Yeah. And he becomes a distraction instead of a help. Yeah. And the apostles send him back to his hometown. And I've always thought of that as it's hard for a Christian to go back to their hometown, (laughs) especially if they were converted while they were away. Yeah. You you knew me as this guy in high school, but I went to college and I'm different now, (laughs) but you're kind of known as that guy. Yes. And Paul was that guy. Yeah. And rabid for Judaism, and now he's full full on for Christianity and Christ, and he went back to his hometown where it's it's hard to be that. Talk a bit about Paul in the sense of the Lord preparing this all away all along the way in his life mm-hmm. and his education, his, the uniqueness so he, of his citizenship. Yeah, he grew up in southeastern Turkey. And he was actually born in a city, Tarsus, that is a what they called a Roman city. Okay. So when he was born, he was born a Jewish Roman citizen. Mm. Major issue. I yeah. mean, major issue. In fact, they'll even recount that to the people in Philippi. And they said, how'd you get your Roman citizenship? I had to buy mine. Yeah. And this is my, how much I had to pay for it. And he said, oh, I was born to it. And apparently there was some kind of hierarchy because yeah. – the guy looked at him like, "Ooh, uh, you're a you're a natural born Roman citizen. 
we just messed up. That we did not give you due process. Right. <laughs> we just messed up. So he was born, and but he's still a Jew. Okay. Apparently, he excelled because they sent him to Jerusalem to uh, study under what's, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, Gamariel. Yeah. And he is the supreme teacher in right. Jerusalem and Israel. He kind of went to the key school and was headed to kind of be a disciple of this guy. Yeah. And take over. He was. He went to the Harvard of the day. Yes. If you, if you in our culture, might you might say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Harvard of years ago. Well, I know, I, <laughs> I know that saying may be wearing thin. <laughs> that is sad. Uh, Having gone to Harvard a couple of times and taken a semester in two weeks, which I don't don't recommend for anyone. <laughs> it was interesting. This side note. One time I took it off campus. And we went to the campus, but it wasn't a big deal. The second time we took it in the business school, which is downtown Boston. Okay. The business school hates the campus. Uh. Completely different perspective. <laughs> I mean, these guys live in the real world. They don't. <laughs> and just listen, we, were, we got to sit in some rooms and just hear the professors talk. Oh. Just among themselves. Yeah, yeah. And man, it's, we all looked at each other with our mouth open. I said, you said that about the, the campus? <laughs> and I thought y'all were all Harvard. He said, no, where's the business school? I don't know what they are. That was fun. That was fun. Oh, that's funny. That's like the uh, Wall Street Journal editorial page versus the news office. I yes. feel like they're, yes. they, they're two different planets. Yes, yes. <laughs> both in New York. Yeah, both Good. printed on the same page. Yes. So going back to... Paul in this biography, so he's highly, highly educated, would know the what we call the Old Testament, the, the their Tanakh, the the Hebrew Bible, supremely well. Well, and it becomes his foundation for the veracity of Jesus being the Christ. Absolutely. And and I talked to some people in a in a lesson this last Thursday, Tuesday night, and it came up. And I said, What did Paul use to prove that Jesus was the Christ. Until he started writing his letters, there wasn't a New Testament per se. Right. And so what did he use? Well, he used all this Old Testament that we're going through, yep. which says the New Testament sits on top of the Old Testament. And then later, we get a guy that studies in Egypt and Alexandria, which is the place where the Jewish Bible was translated into Greek, yep. and it becomes the archive of the Jewish nation pretty much at later years, we have a guy that leaves there and is convinced that the Christ has come, yeah. doesn't know who he is, yeah. and he meets disciples of Paul in Ephesus, and they teach him, and he goes, of course. <laughs> and then he becomes the teacher in Corinth of how the Old Testament spoke of Jesus yeah. and how Jesus is the fulfillment. Yeah. So two different scholars use the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Christ. Yeah, you're talking about Apollos. Neither one of them were disciples at the time. Right. When he was when he was Isn't on that earth. incredible. I love that story about Apollos. Yes. It says that he was accurately teaching about the Christ, not yet knowing he had come. Yes. <laughs> and wild. He, he figured out all the time spaces. Yep. And it says, much like the 
exile when it was quoted that it's 70 years and mm-hmm. the leaders are saying, uh, I think it's about time. Daniel. And sure, yep. sure enough, where it is. There it is. Yeah. I tell you what, let's stick around for another week. Okay. Uh, we kind of gave a background of Paul. And then next week, I really want to start talking about these missionary journeys and where how they kind of formed up and where they went. Yeah, we made it up to chapter 13, which kind of initiates that. And then Paul and Barnabas, and it kind of introduces those two. And then that's when you get the letters from starting from there. This is a lot of fun. I knew it would be. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next week. All right. Thank you for joining Fellowship Around the Table. If you would like to learn more, go to fbctulsa.org. Okay, give me a test. This is Rick Griffith, and I have a reputation for not having much of an opinion about anything.